We've sung of our need for him. We've sung of his holiness. When we're confronted with that, then we're confronted with ourselves. And so that video hopefully helps you like it did me, even though I've seen it a couple times already. Just to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, let it be the real me right now before you. And thank you that the real you is more loving, forgiving, compassionate than I could fathom. And yet you've revealed yourself. So you revealed yourself holy. And God, you've revealed yourself merciful and gracious. So that's the God to whom we turn as we open his word. If you want to turn in your copy of God's word to Psalm 32, I'm going to have you keep your finger there. I'm going to say a few things uh, in introduction. Um, In fact, you can go ahead and put the next one up here. We're in Psalm 32. This is another Psalm of David. Um, If you weren't here with us last week, we began our summer series and, and I asked the question, what, what songs would go on uh, your mixtape? If you were to label your current season where you are, some of us are on the mountaintop, some of us are on the valley, some of us are under the pile, some of us are thankful, some of us have new tangible children, grandchildren, some of us have lost a job, whatever that season is. Uh, we started with Psalm 31 because David who's also the author of the psalm this week, said, my times are in your hands. And the word times there is what we think of as a season, a stretch of weeks or months, maybe years. Maybe some of you feel like it's a decade. (laughs) Decades are my season. Whatever that is, those times are in his hands. And the psalms 150 of them give voice to whatever season you and I may be in. Um, The Psalms give room for us to anguish and question God. The Psalms also correct us when our picture of God is one way, but it's a bit warped or twisted or suitable to our needs in the moment. And God says, this is who I am. And so today is our next song, and as I said, I had the tough assignment, um, though I assigned it to myself, to begin us last week in Psalm 31, where David was terrorized and pressurized, and he, and he said, in you I take refuge. He needed to take refuge. From every corner, every side, there was terror. He was involved in the original cancel culture. They were after him. They disowned him. They disassociated from him, even those closest to him. And he says, in you I take refuge. So that was a hard start. And then today we might sink lower. Today we might sink darker because Psalm 32, many of you may not be familiar with it. I think more of us may be familiar with its companion or cousin, Psalm 51. But they speak of, particularly, the blessedness of forgiveness. That's the outcome side of this psalm. But they talk about the agony that's self-inflicted by hidden sin. This is a mascal. I'm 
No one actually knows for sure what this means, but what scholars who study this quite a bit believe a maskal is, or some of your translations may say a contemplative psalm. A maskal is most likely a song of reflection, contemplation, but also a song of instruction, a song that gives you and me insights that hit so deep they shake us, and then hopefully instruct us so that they shake out in our lives as we walk away from them, as we lean into them, as we take up some of the phrasings and say, that's where I am, God, meet me here. And so that's what a maskal is. They shake out in our lives as God provides you and me the grace to tune in and to live out what's here. The other thing I want you to see, you'll see it in your Bible if you look on your pages, you'll see three times a very strange word, selah. Selah, again, we think we know what it means, um, but there's no exactitude about it. But most likely what selah means is selah invites you and me to pause and to reflect, to, to say, tune in right now. What you've just sung, what you've just heard, tune in. Let these truths you've just voiced or you've just read sink in a bit. Don't rush on. Soak it in. And perhaps it's also a note to the musicians, like our guys follow music up here for a musical interlude. And what does a musical interlude do? Well, it either gives Jimi Hendrix a time to play a solo, or in this instance, in these instances, it's potentially to say, I'm going to give you that moment of pause. We're going to reduce words so that you can reflect on the words that you've just voiced to God or you've heard someone else voice to God. And so that's what this is. I'm going to have a stand. You're going to be the scripture readers today. Stand. We're going to read off the screen. You can read with me later in your copy because we don't want to be off key. All right. As we do this song, we're going to read all 11 verses and we're going to actually practice Selah. Everybody say Selah. All right. Because when we get to it, we're going to say Selah and then we're going to pause for a moment. We're going to take in. So be attentive to what we've just said in that verse, okay? Now, let's read God's word together. Read with me. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. Sometimes Selah can say, repeat what you just read. So let's repeat it as a way to meditate. Go back to verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Verse 6. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Let me say this. This is most likely God now putting his voice in through David. So let's read that verse again, even though there's no Selah. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, I've entitled this, uh, The Fever Heat of Summer. But I'm also really going to take us behind the music. Behind the music was a VH1 documentary series. I don't know if they've killed it or not. Um, I watched, There's other types like it where they go behind the scenes. You get all the backstage in the green room, on the tour bus, all that. You get all the drama. And boy, rock stars in the 80s and 90s, that they, I mean, they had drama out, out the wazoo. I don't know if you can say that in Hebrew or not. But they... When they, they take you behind the music and you see what happened, what did they encounter, where did they hit roadblocks, where did they have infighting and all that stuff, right? It gives you, it gives you like the intensity, the relational disappointments, the heartache, how they came to craft this song, who it was that if they weren't introduced to them, they would have never gotten a, le- a record label, that kind of thing. And so we're going to go behind the music today to help us tune in and to take in the story behind David's Psalm 32. Because Psalm 32 actually describes a season where David has sinned. Then he had to scheme to keep that sin hidden. And this psalm describes for us the toll that unconfessed hidden sin takes on you and me. Spiritually, emotionally, even physically, when we live trying to keep our sin a hidden secret. We're going to see, we've already read them, we see David describe relief, gladness, gratefulness, blessedness, and valuable lessons learned. But also, we feel, don't we, anguish, heaviness, groaning, vitality drain, that David felt viscerally, and he felt it for a good long while. I've entitled this The Fever Heat of Summer because I'm using David's own words of how hiding his sin drained him, just like you and I felt this past week. I hear, I hear we're getting a cold front that's dropping like eight degrees or something. Right, But it was 101, 102. And if you were out for any length of time, you felt the fever heat of summer. And what did it, even if you were not very long, you were inside and you got your AC cranking at 68 
and you walk out to just go start your car so you can start that AC, right, and then you run back in, you're like, whew, it just drains you, doesn't it? That's exactly what David says he went through, and he says that's what we will go through when we try to hide, cover up, perform, put on a glaze, keeping our sin hidden. Look again at verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to get behind the music in a couple other passages. And it'll be on the screen. Verses 1 through 4. I want you to take note of that David is going to give us three terms that describe our sin. He's going to give us three actions that God mercifully takes to address our sin. And then he's also even going to say, and here's what God is looking for so that he might forgive as he desires to do because of his great love, grace, and mercy. Verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgression, there's the first um, word for sin, transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. First of all, I want you to note this, that blessed uh, is really in the plural. So it's blessednesses. It's, um, I think it's, it's Charles Spurgeon says, oh, the double blessednesses. Of what? Of when you have blown it, and you have failed, you have sinned, and you have experienced the actual, not just imagined, forgiveness of God. When God forgives, there is a joy. He says in verse 11, be glad and rejoice. This psalm is to bring us to that point. But in order to get to that point, he says, we've got to get to where we are not hiding, we're not pretending, we're not carrying on on the outside, in the public, when we're deteriorating on the interior. Blessedness. Double, triple joy. Well, what is that? It's when our transgressions are forgiven. Transgression means to step over the line. And when that is forgiven, you step over the line you have violated and you owe on that violation. And he says, when that's forgiven, that's the idea that the debt is paid. And then he says, blessed, the continued thought is, blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Sin would be to fall short of, to miss the mark. There's God's target of what he calls us to be and do as his children, those who are his followers, and we miss the mark. And he says, that is covered. You can think of atonement. And atonement in David's time, which pictured what we will celebrate later in the Lord's Supper, was when blood was shed by, uh, by an unblemished one with whom we identify owning our sin, and that covered us. In the Old Testament, it didn't fully and finally make that payment. It's just like me with my old Mazda when I almost had it repossessed. It just kept rolling it forward a little bit. But he says the sin is covered, and God is the one who covered it. 
And then verse 2, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. There's the third term. And iniquity is crookedness. It's uh, deviation. It's corruptedness. And he says, it's blessed when our sin is, our transgressions are forgiven, sin is covered, and our iniquity is not counted against us. And you can actually translate that as well, on whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And so it is a blessed thing. Blessedness is when our transgressions, our sin, our iniquity are forgiven, covered, and not counted against us. He says, and part of that is, this is not um, how well you crafted your prayer. This is not how much you beat your chest. This is not, perhaps I'll put a little more in the offering so that maybe I can throw a little meat to the, the deity and keep him at bay. This forgiveness, which we'll look at in verse 5, is declared by God and not earned by us. It is that declared forgiveness as a gift of His grace and mercy. There is one condition, and it's the end of the verse. In whose spirit there's no deceit. So you think of in the Gospels when Jesus talks about the sinner, and he is just, ah, oh, I'm an awful man. And the Pharisee, like, thank you, God, that I'm not like that man. That is deceit. That is keeping up appearances. That is pride. That is not a contrite heart before God. He says, what God is looking for are those who are broken over their sin, who know they can't clean themselves up. And he says, my grace is abundant. And Paul talks about in Romans, where sin abounds, and it does, grace abounds all the more. David says, it's a blessed place to be there. Because why? He experienced when he was hiding, when there was deceit, when he tried to scheme his way into just sweeping his sin under the rug, acting as if it's no big deal, acting as if life can just go on and that fellowship with God and him will be fine. Verse 3, 4, so he's explaining. It's blessed because he's going to say, I know and I can tell you about a couple of different times when I kept silent. In some of your translations, it's good because it helps us stay in context. When I kept silent about my sin. About my sin is not in the text. But about when I kept silent follows the idea of being forgiven of your sin and not having deceit or not hiding it. And he says, this was the time when I kept silent. What happened? What did I experience? My bones wasted away. The idea there is like your bones being pulverized and powderized. Just pulverized until they're no longer structurally sound. They're no longer able to hold up a life. They are just particles of bone, chip, and dust. He says, that's what it was like for me as I was hiding my sin. Through my groaning all day long, 
His bones were being pulverized. He's becoming powder. No structural integrity in, in his inner man. And he's groaning. One question. We're going to talk about what's the possible sin that got David in this situation in just a second. But I bet, just like you and me, when he thought, you know what, I think I'm going to indulge in that. I think I'm going to go there. I, I think I'm going to go after that person, that pleasure, that whatever, that's a temptation. I seriously doubt he thought, now I'm going after that because it's going to lead to groaning. No, let's, let's be real about, and James is real about it. He talks about the fact that it's within us. We need to take ownership that we go after things that tempt us. And so let's not blame God, but let's be real. None of it. We thought that's it. I just got to have a little bit of that or I deserve a little bit of that. But we're not thinking groaning. But here's what David's saying, and this is a mascal. Be instructed. My bones were wasting away and I was groaning all day long. The next verse. For, he's still explaining, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Don't miss that. This is the discipline of God with his child. David is his child. David is a man after God's own heart, and a man after God's own heart can twist in his own heart and go after what he wants, but then he will experience, because he's God's child and God as a, any good father, he disciplines those he loves. He puts his hand to heavy us. And if we are experiencing heaviness, hear this, it's a gift. It is the gift to experience the discipline of God where your sin that you haven't confessed, where you are keeping it hidden, where you're scheming, dressing it up, whatever it is, where I am making sure I put on a good pastoral smiley face, but harboring sin in my heart or hiding it, it's a gift that he would heavy me. Because here's when we need to be very afraid. When we don't feel that. Romans 1 talks about, the, this is actually the mercy of God that he would heavy us. Because there does come a point when God says, all right, I'll let you have what you want. And now we're, am I like my fingers from playing guitar? They become callous to what was painful. It used to cause my conscience to wince that I would offend or displease God in this sinful way. But now I've so held my grip to it, I've so indulged in it, tried to ignore the heaviness, that he says, all right, you can have it. Now you're in, you and I are in a place we don't want to be. So it's a gift. If you are feeling it right now, some of you, Perhaps, even as we watch the video or we read this, you're thinking of something that is not confessed, that you've not dealt with honestly before the Lord, and you may feel heavy. Praise the Lord for that right now. Because it's a bad spot when it's not heavy. <clears throat> and then he says, my vitality, literally, it's like my juices were sapped with summer's heat. 
the juices of life. And any of us, if we're honest, we say, yep, I went after sin. I kind of had this season of indulging myself in this way or just my pride overtook my ambition, my lust, or whatever it is, and we feel that heaviness, but we also can feel that life kind of just drains out of you. And so we almost have to pick up the pace and pursue the sin more to try to put the juice back in, and it's diminishing returns. And he says, I was in such a place that the juices of life were draining out of me. Notice the word after that, Selah. Ecclesiastes 8, Solomon says, Hey, I know it looks like those who are wicked and go after sin, they kind of live the easy life, but I know it's still better for those who fear the Lord and fear him openly. That's what we're talking about here. David feared the Lord, but then he sinned, and now he was no longer open before the Lord. And that's what we're going to look behind the music. If you'll turn, take a left in your Bible to 2 Samuel 11. We're going to see the backstory of this psalm, and then we're going to come back and walk through a couple of selahs for us to tune into so God might cause those to find their way into our lives. In 2 Samuel 11, we don't have time to read 2 Samuel 11 and 12. I would encourage you you may want to read both of these chapters and meditate through them for this entire week. But 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we don't know this for certain, but it's a pretty good leaning to think that Psalm 32 is David after 2 Samuel 11 and 2 Samuel 12, and particularly after 12 and Psalm 51. I need to put it in your order. You're, you're reading this way. Unless you want to read in Hebrew. Y'all want to read that way? No. 2 Samuel 11, 2 Samuel 12. This is the story we're about to look at. Part of 2 Samuel 12 is David confessing his sin finally. That's Psalm 51. And now Psalm 32 is saying, man, as I reflect back on it, let me just tell you. Let me tell you how gracious our God is. 2 Samuel 11. This is David's sin and his calculated cover-up. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and he was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So this is, first of all, David's first sin, as he committed adultery with the wife of Uriah named Bathsheba. Let me say that again in that order. He sinned by committing adultery with the wife of Uriah, who is named Bathsheba. He went outside of God. He transgressed God's boundaries. He sinned. Verse 6. So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. 
And now we're not going to read all the rest of this. But Uriah is at the battlefield. Now, you've probably heard many messages on, well, David should have been out in the battlefield because it's in the spring and kings are supposed to go out to war. And he, That's another sermon, another time. What we're looking at is what did David do? He sinned, and now he's going to scheme to cover it up. Uriah, fighting David's battles for him out in the battlefield, is called back. David lusts after and commits adultery with, his, with Uriah's wife. David tries to now cover it up by seeming to be generous to give Uriah kind of, you know, a few days off and even a few nights with his wife away from the front lines. He gives him wine, encourages him to sleep with his wife. So if she becomes pregnant, Uriah will believe that he's the father. Inebriated Uriah, this is ironic in the passage, inebriated Uriah is more faithful and responsible than David because he says how could I do that when my brothers are out fighting the war and he just sleeps outside on the mat I guess and then David tries again it doesn't work so now David sends a message in the hands of Uriah to Joab and he says and I mean how ironic is that the faithful trustworthy man and the man who had slept with this man's wife sends a message to tell Joab, hey, go up, intensify the attack, and then back all our guys off, and Uriah will be killed. Now, Joab knows what's happening. He, even, in fact, tells the messenger, after it happens, Uriah dies, and he sends the guy back. He says, now, when David gets all angry and enraged about our battle tactics, make sure and tell him Uriah the Hittite is dead. And that's the cover-up. He tried to get Uriah to sleep with his wife. Then he says, well, if we can just do away with Uriah, then I'm good. And Uriah is dead. And now in verse 25, if you look there, in fact, um, show the next slide. One more over. I'll come back to that. The, the messenger comes back to David from Joab. Hey, just want you to know Uriah the Hittite died. And David, this is also what we do when we're trying to keep up an appearance. We start to sound really poised, really spiritual. You know, really, let, let me help encourage you. This is what David is doing. He says, oh, do not let this displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Makes you want to vomit right? Verse 27. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. See, it's not a matter of how David sees it and wants others to see it. It's a matter of what is, and the what is comes from the one who sees with perfect vision. David can scheme. He can make it look all he wants. I can dress up my sin. You can disguise and cover yours. Guess what? It's evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, when he had said his words, hey, don't let it displease you, David may have thought, I've got a momentary, you know, like, I think I can move on. Uriah's gone. My schemes have covered my tracks. No one will ever know. Maybe this nagging guilt will go away. But notice, 
in one exposing sentence God's evaluation. Now, God doesn't let David know this yet, but he comes to know it. David tries to move on, but he can't. God won't let him. God keeps his hand heavy on David, heavying him day and night for weeks and months up to a year of trying to keep his sin hidden. And that's when we get to 2 Samuel 12 and then Psalm 51. Notice one word in 2 Samuel 12, 1. It's the verb. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Why do I say that? Well, you only send others or orders when you're in charge. And David said, I've sinned. Oh, and it's, it's not not going to end up the way I want. I'm going to take charge. I'm going to take charge of my own cover-up scheme. I'm going to send to get Uriah. I'm going to send him to his own house to sleep with his wife. Again and again, if you look through 2 Samuel 11, it says David sent, David sent, David sent. 2 Samuel 12, 1. And the Lord sent. He sent Nathan. The word Nathan means gift. The Lord sent a gift of heavy mercy, confrontational mercy to David. It says, um, and Nathan goes and tells him a story. Well, I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. That there was one man who had plenty. He's a rich, powerful man. But he had some guests coming in. He didn't want to, you know, mess up his, he just had done inventory. He didn't want to mess things up. And so he goes and takes <clears throat> from the herd of his poor neighbor, basically took his only little ewe lamb so that he could prepare a feast for his guest. Verse 5 of chapter 12, Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. And I don't think Nathan yelled at him. I think he let David's rage about this man is in the wrong. He should be dealt with. Nathan probably let it hang. And I don't know if he had a lump in his throat and a tear in his eye. But I imagine that he almost couldn't get the words out, not because he was afraid, because his heart was broken for his blind friend. And he says, Atahaish, you are the man. You are the man. You took another's precious one for your own pleasure. Here's why that's relief. Because David knew that. He'd been hiding it. He'd been rephrasing it in his own mind. He'd been, put, he'd been putting up appearances. He'd been playing the part. He'd been sending. And thanks be to God that the Lord sent his gift. Someone with the courage to say to the king who could take his life, you are the man. In verse 13, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says, 
The Lord has forgiven your sin. There are going to be consequences that you're going to feel. That you've been feeling, you'll feel some more, and they'll roll forward into your future and your family. And there's some tragic ones. But I want to look quickly at Psalm 51, and then we're going to come back to Psalm 32 to conclude and move into the Lord's Supper. David says, Be gracious to me, O God. This is his confession. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Guess what Psalm 32 is? I'm going to tell the story, God, of your forgiveness. I'm going to tell the story of your mercy to a man who schemed and covered and hid. And sinners will be converted to you. Next slide. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my, my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight. Catch this. You do not do not delight in sacrifice, or otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. That's worship. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. See also Psalm 32. Blessed is the man in whom and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Look at Psalm 32, verse 5. This is David saying, I acknowledge, notice, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess. Confess means to say the same thing. If God calls it sin, then I call it sin. I don't halfway call it sin. If he calls it transgression, then I say, there's the boundary. That's his boundary. And even if I don't understand it, I will remain within his boundary because I know he has a good and beautiful design for life. He says, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Again, the forgiveness is not based on David putting together a poetic prayer, but is him saying, I am broken I am undone, and I throw myself on your mercy. I have sinned. Please forgive me. And God forgave. It's a declarative forgiveness. And then verses 6 through 11, we've already read. Therefore, let's all learn from this. Verse 7, David goes from hiding his sin to God being his hiding place. And then... We can erupt in unrestrained praise and joy and gladness because of God, the God who loved us enough to put his hand on us heavily until we said, I'm broken. I need you. Forgive me. A couple of Selahs, and we're going to turn to the Lord's Supper. 
The first one is, I want us to think about what's at stake. David was tempted to sin, and he did sin, and then he was tempted to keep silent. Why? Because something was at stake for him, he thought, in committing the sin. He thought, this is what I'll, I'll get, this is what I'll feel. But something was also at play to say, my best course of action is cover-up. Don't miss the human side of that. Don't miss the instructive side of that. Notice the effects on David, exhausting, debilitating. Think of a time when your conscience has struggled with a shameful act. You may be there right now. How did that affect your ability to eat, to sleep, to work, to concentrate? How did it affect your friendships, your interactions with others? How did you seek to find relief? Did you experience the relief you sought by going the way you went? If you're keeping silent about your sin now, what is the sin? Are you willing to acknowledge it and confess it? Are you willing to name it in your mind, to voice it to God, to invite a trusted friend to know? With our boys, if they did sin and they wronged one another, we have them not say, I'm sorry, that's when you spilt milk, it was an accident. But to say, will you forgive me? But we say, for what? And, they, and if someone asks, will you forgive me? It's like, it's fine. I forgive you. It's a declarative that the guilt, I don't hold on you. Are there still consequences at times? Yes. But can you name, will you name specifically? And maybe my first Selah here is, what parable, what parable, just like Nathan told David, would God send to your ears to expose your hidden sin and whisper to you, you are the man, you are the woman. Second Selah, what's offered here is relief and wholeness. To go from self-deception to relief it's basically choose your hiding. Do you want the exhausting work of hiding your sin? Or would you like to find the rest and relief to say, God, you are my hiding place? There will be sin, there will be hiding after sin. Will it be you hiding in him, your hiding place? Or will you go about the schemes to keep it silent? And wholeness is what's offered. When I kept silent about my sin, my bones were disintegrating. There's a disintegration in trying to keep sin hidden. God calls us to have shalom, life that's to the full and whole. In fact, every psalm we go through is an opportunity to pray our way into wholeness that God provides and re-provides and re-provides. Last thing, we move to this. And worship team, would you come up? And the three men, would you come up? The last thing, Dane Ortland has this quote, because I know personally when we've sinned and we don't want somebody else to know it, we don't want to confess it to the person we sinned against, we don't want to name it before God. He says, it feels like a death to open up in honesty about our failings. 
but it's actually the path to life and to sanity. When he says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven or sins are covered, or to whom the Lord does not count against or impute iniquity, the only way that that gift of blessedness, of forgiveness, can be offered to us is because our sin is imputed, but not to us, to the one whose life and death on our behalf we're remembering right now. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what we celebrate in this, Jesus with his men. He said, this is my body when he took the bread broken for you. This is my blood which is shed for you for the remission of sins. And so as we partake of that, we're reminded of the forgiveness that was purchased for us. Our sin that was imputed on him so that it wouldn't be remaining on us. So that the wrath of God could be poured out justly on sin, but on the one who had never sinned, but had my sin and yours imputed on him. So we're going to sing a song. The simple invitation, right, is to be honest with God right now. They're going to begin to play just instrumentally for a second. And then the song we're going to sing, if you want to sing, if you just want to hear, if you need to right now, name your sin that you're keeping hidden to know God's forgiveness, to know relief, to know his restoration. That's the best thing you can do right now. When you feel ready, the men are going to be at the end of each aisle. You'll come up. They'll say a simple blessing to you. Christ died for your sins. You can go back and continue singing. You can go back and partake when you're ready. And then I'll end uh, in a time of prayer for us. Bow your heads for a moment. Be open with God. Be honest with Him.
way to finish. Uh, would you put up verse 7? You are my hiding place. I just want us to say this together, to declare to God that I don't want to hide anymore from my own sin. Thank you for the grace and the mercy of even conviction in the sin. And let's confess that he is our hiding place. They're going to continue with amazing grace, just the verse that you are dismissed after we say this together. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. Have a great week in God's grace.